Hello and welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I will be your host, Abraham. And I'm your co-host, Ryan O. I'm going to start by telling you a little story. Ooh, story time. Yeah. So, all right. Let's say that there is this teacher and she's working in like an elementary school classroom and she notices that one of her students really can only complete um, worksheets that she puts in front of him, but he seems to struggle whenever he's told to do something. Okay. And furthermore, she notices that he's participating and he's answering her questions whenever she's got like pictures and slides and that sort of thing, but he never participates and never answers or gives the correct answer when he's trying to respond and there are no pictures or slides. And so this teacher decides that he must be a visual learner and therefore he should have a curriculum that really capitalizes on this strength. Okay. All right. So that's my story. So today we're talking about learning styles. Yeah, and, and air quotes, learning styles. Yes. <laughs> and based on the intro, you probably figured out that learning styles refer to this idea that curriculum is better when tailored to the strengths of the individual. Which makes some intuitive sense. And it's important to clarify what learning styles are not, before, because we're going to talk a lot about some differences in how people talk about this. And what learning styles do not mean is adapting curriculum to meet the skill level of the learner. That's not what it was referring to. They also do not refer to taking a student's disability or circumstances into consideration. Right. So if you're just looking at a particular individual who might have some kind of learning disability and then saying that you need to modify your curriculum based on that ability, also not what we mean by learning styles, nor what anyone means by learning styles. Yes. They only refer, right, to the type of sensory modality that is supposed to appeal to the talents of that student. Right. So in the example that I gave, that particular student was described as being a visual learner. So the idea would then be all the curriculum should be designed around that those visual um, lessons because those are what his strengths are. Okay. And so uh, that's, that's what we're talking about when we say this uh, learning styles and by implication teaching styles. Uh, but it doesn't mean those things that we discussed, those other considerations. So um, let's dig into the history of this a little bit. All right. I know it started in the 70s. Yeah. I, I couldn't find a like patient ish. zero. Yeah. 70s ish. Yeah. I couldn't find a like any one person that really started talking about this first. It's one of those things that I think is just it's been around for really a really long time. But it's hard to pin down who was really the first to sort of uh, where were the shots fired, so to speak, yeah. on this. But going back to what we were saying, this idea of catering to an individual's strength, it does have it does make some intuitive sense, right? Yeah, like a lot. Right? Yeah. And so the argument goes basically that if a student does well in a particular curriculum arrangement, then it is because it is due to the individual characteristics that are inherent to that student. So if you have a student who does well with those visual lessons, and they, uh, then it is because they are a visual learner, and that's just part of apparently their physiology or their genes or something. And we already covered an episode on genes and behavior, but um, that's kind of the implication of that. And there are some other reasons that that people that this notion is appealing, this idea of learning styles. And so one that I found is that it supports this idea of learning styles really supports our desire to think of ourselves as individuals of, you know, I'm unique because this is my learning style sort of thing. Yeah, it's also very optimistic to think that people don't have deficits, right? Yeah. So they just need to have the instruction matched to their style, quote unquote. Right. Yeah. So they're like style of learning, whatnot. Um, and another thing is that we can observe uh, students doing better with some particular mediums than with others. So there are literally 
thousands of articles researching this learning style stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, thousands of them that have looked at this and they're really trying to evaluate various aspects of learning styles. And I mean, that's a lot. They do make up a not insignificant amount of the literature that exists in for research that's been done on this. And if there's a couple of different polls that I found, one in the UK found that um, 94% of educators believed that students performed better when teaching styles were matched to their learning styles. And another one found in, I believe it was the United States, that a significant proportion, and it was maybe 60, it was a little bit lower, maybe 60 or 70% of educators also believed that learning st- that student performance was better when teaching styles were matched to individual learning styles. And the last one is that this idea of learning styles is consistent with this idea of um, multiple intelligences of saying someone might have an, not that there's just this, uh, you're just intelligent or you're not intelligent, but maybe you are emotionally intelligent or maybe you are kinesthetically intelligent or maybe you are mathematically intelligent, but that these are all different things. And that's been this hypothesis that has existed for a long time in this research around intelligence that sort of also goes hand in hand with this idea of learning styles, because we might have someone who is maybe a visual learner and is therefore has that sort of distinct intelligence for them. At least that would be in conjunction with this idea. Yeah. So as with many things in education, there's like a whole lot of conceptual systems as well as proprietary systems. Right. I'm like understanding this. Yeah. And and how they describe uh, the different types of learning styles. It's actually kind of funny and ironic. I think how many there are. There's so what are some of the ones that you found that were um, the different types of learning styles that people designated? So I found one called the Fleming model, uh, cited in 95, 92. That suggests that there are four types of learning styles, which are visual, oral, read-write, and kinesthetic. And so uh, another one was Kolb, and he had these four that were concrete experience, reflective observation, abstract conceptualization, and an active experimentation. And these were his groupings of learning styles. The other one that I found was done and done model. So kind of a funny play of words, D-U-N-N is what it was. Yeah, yeah. And they outlined four learning styles um, as environmental elements, emotional elements, sociological elements, and physical elements. Yeah, and I think there's even some more. And these are just these different groups of people who were trying to say, okay, there are learning styles and these are what they are. And so many people have these different ideas about what these learning styles are and they don't necessarily overlap. Some of them do, some of them don't, some of them overlap in different ways and some of them uh, deliberately contradict each other. But by far and away, the most popular one that I found was called the VAK and that stood for visual auditory kinesthetic. As a matter of fact, I even read that there was a school that had t-shirts made for kids to wear that said VAK on them specifically for this idea which is pretty funny to me. So those were just to highlight like the visual learners, they acquire and process information best through images is the argument. Auditory learners learn best by listening. And yet others like the kinesthetic learners learn best by doing these physical activities, right? Oh yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. For sure. All right. So I think, as I mentioned already, it's kind of funny and interesting that there's so many different models about what the learning styles are that already is, in my opinion, a little bit of a red flag in terms of how are we going to understand these because nobody seems to agree on them. But I'm jumping the gun a little bit. Um, Let's dive into um, how do we go about using these learning styles or the people who are big proponents of this? What's their system? What's their what are the steps they have to take? 
And clearly you got to start somewhere. So if you look, walk into a classroom and you want to say, okay, we need to match all the instruction to these students, learning styles, what do you got to do? Well, step one, examine each student's learning style. Yeah. I mean, you got to see where idea. they're at. Yeah, yeah. You got to have an idea where they're at, what they're doing, what they're good at. Right. Precisely. Yeah. So that means you need some kind of test, but of course that test is going to be based on one of these systems of learning styles. So it kind of depends on who you choose to model your test after and they all, all have their own, but uh, you're going to have some kind of way of evaluating what the learning style is. And then once you've done an observation, you got to group those styles into some kind of category and classification system. The idea is that you then match the teaching style to that individual and get other instructors to do that as well. And then the final step in their process that was described by these particular researchers was to have other teachers for that student execute those exact steps where they go through and evaluate and classify and match and, and do all of those things until you have basically everyone on board. Now, one thing I didn't see, which was a little unclear to me in looking at this is, okay, let's say you have a classroom and you've gone through and you said, okay, you're a visual learner, you're a kinesthetic learner, you're an auditory learner. What do you do now as a teacher? Do you like divide the room into these groups and then you just go around doing instruction individually? Because then you would have only a third the amount of classroom time to do instruction for one group, modify it, go do it for the other group and modify it and go do it for the other group. Or else you need three teachers in the classroom, at which point, why not just have them in different classrooms? I'm not entirely sure what the recommendations are around this, but it seems like that would actually provide some complications in terms of navigating a classroom environment in the first place. I mean, maybe they suggest dividing those kids into groups and they just go in their own like parts of the school, like at Hogwarts, you have your Ravenclaws or your auditory learners and your Slytherin or your kinesthetic learners. <laughs> I don't know. But um, it, I don't know. It's just the whole idea is weird. And then it gets this whole problem of segregation. Like maybe we end up, we're just going to say that all of the students of a particular race belong to the, uh, the visual learners. And they're going to go over here. Um, I could see that becoming a problem. Yeah. So let's dive into the research. Sweet. I know you're going to be a little blunt on this one. Yeah, I think uh, let's Everyone just one brace for impact. <laughs> let's just start off right away by saying that unfortunately, maybe not unfortunately, this just is what it is. The evidence not only completely fails to support the idea of learning styles, I mean, completely and utterly fails to support it, but it also goes the opposite direction sometimes of that, like, not only is this not working, but it can be harmful. And so um, we'll go into that. But as I said, there are thousands of articles of people researching learning styles as a legitimate phenomenon, but it's important to note that the vast majority of those were not peer-reviewed. And I don't know if we've mentioned on this show before, but peer-reviewed refers to in the process of doing scientific research, you have to submit that research to other scientists who then evaluate it and give critical feedback and say, okay, your methods were okay, but they weren't convincing enough for this to be published, or your methods were great and your results were really strong, this should definitely be published. But either way, it gets reviewed by someone else who then can sort of say, uh, who's an expert in that area, and then they can sort of provide their own feedback and then judge for whether or not that is quality enough to end up going out into the world as being science. Well. That's how most scientific research is done. It was like 75% or more of this was not peer reviewed. So only about a quarter of it was actually peer reviewed, which shrieks those numbers down considerably. But then even when you look at those studies that were peer reviewed, almost every single one of those studies had some or all critical flaws. And so what I mean by critical flaws is that when you're doing research, there are certain things you have to do. You have to have experimental control. You have to do um, good analyses of your data. You have to, um, there's a lot of procedures to follow. And if 
steps are missing that are critical to doing good research where you can really convincingly show an effect that makes the argument very weak because it's sort of like saying, okay, I want to study whether or not I'm going to plug our old episode. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to study whether or not my subliminal messaging is going to get you to, to drink more of this. And so I do my subliminal messaging and then I observe how much you drink your Red Bull and, um, and then I say, okay, it worked. Well, the problem is I have nothing to compare it to. I wasn't measuring how much you drank the Red Bull before. I'm not measuring how much you drank the Red Bull after. I'm not comparing that uh, subliminal message to other subliminal messages. I'm not giving you a choice of which kind of beverage to choose. So you can't really say whether or not there was an effect because there's no comparison. And mm-hmm. so when you're doing research, you have to have some kind of comparison so that you can determine what's the relevant thing that's going on that makes this work. And most of these, and that's not necessarily what was missing in in these studies, but that's just what I mean by critical flaw is you have to have the components of good scientific research and the overwhelming majority of those that were peer reviewed had some or or many, many critical flaws, but it's worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if this is where you're going actually, but I looked at some areas of research and kind of came up with like, there is no scientific evidence that children do Um, indeed acquire information more effectively if it's presented to them in their preferred learning style and that there's actually evidence for the contrary sometimes. Yeah. And that is that um, when you kind of take them out of their quote, comfort zone, end quote, um, and present these different learning styles that you can actually get some gains in those areas. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's what I found as well is that where there is good scientific evidence that has that's really strong and really follow the scientific process well, it really showed the, uh, the opposite that learning styles are not only not effective, but as I mentioned, like using them can actually be to the detriment of the student. And I'll get to why in a moment. Okay. So the research is in learning styles are not effective and possibly harmful, um, supported by a significant body of research and not supported by another significant body of research. So let's go into, and what I mean by supported is the idea that they um, are ineffective is supported by research. Okay. But besides the fact that the research also says that's wrong, there are conceptual problems with this as well. So we got a double whammy here. So the first and maybe most importantly, is that let's, let's go back to the steps I was talking about when we have to identify um, whether or not or what the learning style is of, of a particular student. And that is really based on this idea that there is some kind of conceptual foundation for learning styles. So is there? No, there isn't. And there's also no like philosophical system that supports how they would work. And there's no system that agrees on even what they are. Yeah. So different models place different students in different places, right? Yeah. Yeah. So a student in one model that might be considered like a visual learner might be described in a different model as like an auditory learner or because the models don't even align necessarily with the vision, like the modalities of it. Someone might be placed in one category that has no comparison and another model. So it's sort of, how how do you know, how do you know, which one do you use? Some people who have taken the test and I actually did look at one of the uh, learning styles inventory tests myself in preparing for this episode. And like the, the way those questions are set up is actually kind of frustrating because they might ask you questions that are, um, I don't know, they're, they're really hard to answer. And they, the answer is often just, it depends, but that's not a choice you have. And so an example that they had specifically is when you experience a new situation, you usually a try it right away or B like to watch first and try it later. Well, everyone might have a ready answer and say, Oh, I like to watch first or a, I like to, or I just like to jump in and do it. But 
if you really think about it, honestly, it just depends on what it is. If it's something, especially Learning to wrangle an alligator, yeah. I'm going to watch someone else first. Yeah. Not going to jump in. Yeah, no, I'm just going to jump in. And I actually, I was specifically thinking as well that especially things that depend on that are based around like physical danger, you probably want to have a pretty good idea of what you're doing before you actually do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the way that these, these tests are set up they also don't have any real conceptual reason for how they're set up. And they seem to be really leading in one way more than another. And so this is a huge problem for just what are learning styles, because how can you assess someone's learning style if you don't even know what a learning style is? Like we can't even agree on what it is, let alone how to assess it. So that creates kind of a problem for this conceptually. All right. So the second one under these conceptual flaws is and it's related to the first, is, is this notion of like the test reliability and validity, right? Yeah. So students are placed differently on different tests. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's a problem. Yeah, that should not be happening. Um, and furthermore, there was some research that I found that found no relation between the learning style classification and then memory on those classification tasks later, which is to say that they did no better on a visual test than they did on an auditory test or a kinesthetic test um, or any other sense modality that they tried, regardless of what their learning style that was assessed and then catered to was. So that also creates a problem that can these tests be designed in such a way that they can effectively determine what a learning style is? Well, we don't know what learning styles are and we can't agree on what the tests should be like and no one has validated these tests. So as far as we can tell, um, it's just a, a free for all of maybe, maybe, and maybe not. And we don't really know, but sure, let's just do it and go for it. Uh, so a third one, and I kind of mentioned this already, is that so really strong scientific studies have failed to support these, uh, the learning styles hypothesis. Um, that So the research that's been done, that the good research um, on learning styles has showed that it's just not effective. And that's, you know, that's just is what it is. That when, when you do poor research, that might support it. And when you do good, good research, it just doesn't ever support it. And then finally... Um, there are no real recommendations or training systems for how teachers can adapt this into their teaching style to match the learning of the students. As I mentioned earlier, it seemed like a problem to me of how you would even incorporate this into a classroom. Um, but yeah, there, there's no, no research on good systems for implementing this for teachers. There's no recommendations once you have done the assessment to find out what the learning styles are. Again, with the caveat that we don't know what learning styles are and no one can agree on a system to categorize them. Uh, but even once you've decided that you're just going to make it up and do it anyway, um, there's no way to help teachers design their curriculum so that they can adapt it to these different learners. And so like the advice that they get is inconsistent. It's unclear and it's difficult for them to implement it. And there are no bases that, uh, that really help them to implement it and adapt their curriculum to, to match it. But it gets worse. <laughs> no way. Say more. So what else is wrong with this? So this implies that motivation, these are some big things. Yeah. Motivation, ability, and instructional quality shouldn't be considered when evaluating when a child isn't learning well. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, what, what does that mean? That means all those other important variables that are talked about all the time when it comes to education are literally just put to the wayside inadvertently in these sort of models and discussions about how do we help a child? It's literally just, oh, we need to adapt the learning styles. 
Yeah. So it's, it's funny because it seems to suggest that we take the student, we see that they're struggling and rather than say, okay, is there motivation? Is there incentive for them to do well? Do they have the skills that are foundational to be able to complete this particular exercise or lesson? Um, is the instruction set up in such a way that it is going to uh, capture their interest and give them opportunities to do this? Um, no, we're just going to disregard all of that. It's yeah. got to be, they're either visual auditory or kinesthetic. Spoiler alert. All of like the really solid research shows that those sort of things are extremely important. Yes. Yes, it does. Extremely important to and, consider. And it's, you know, we know that. So I don't know. That's all right. Another thing that is really wrong with this is that, um, as I mentioned, one of the reasons that this is kind of appealing and intuitively and also I think emotionally appealing is that um, it takes this idea that a student, there's not nothing wrong with the student. They just have to have their teaching adapted to their learning. That's all fine. Saying that learning styles are not a legitimate phenomenon is not saying that students are uh, don't need to have their individual needs met. Just because we reject the idea that um, that there aren't learning styles doesn't mean that we blame students for their failing. It just means we need to go back to those things that we already mentioned. Um, is there motivation? Do they have those foundational skills? Where is it that they need the most help? Because if we just say that they have this learning style and then we go after that, then we're going to fail to miss these other critical variables that we know are so important. And we're not robbing them of their individuality. Um, as a matter of fact, I think that allows us to be more specific about who that person is by disregarding this idea that there's learning styles and instead just focusing on, um, you know, what, what do we need to work on for this individual? How can we help them to be successful in this situation? Cause clearly if they're not succeeding, they weren't prepared to be successful, which means they're missing some component. Um, even if you might make the argument, it's just because the, the teaching style hasn't been adapted properly. Okay. So on, on top of that, this, as I mentioned earlier, that learning styles does not mean adapting the curriculum, but that's exactly what we're suggesting here is that adapting teaching styles can work. And I don't mean teaching styles by just saying focusing on visual or auditory or kinesthetic, but I mean, you're adapting the way that you approach curriculum with the activities that you use and with the kinds of exercises that you implement because and that can work because it can make those lessons more interesting. It can be cross-modal, which is to say it can go after all of those things. It can hit, um, you can, it can include those pictures and those exercises and those kinesthetic things where they involve touching and they provide additional and more contextual opportunities for students to be successful. But that's different from those learning styles things. And we are advocating for that specifically. <laughs> Another one is that it's possible, it's actually very likely that there are some skills that lend themselves particularly well to certain types of presentation. So for example, someone learning about, I'm just going to throw one out there, anatomy, a visual presentation might be the best way to go. But someone learning about, let's say, operating a particular type of machine, having that hands-on kinesthetic experience where they get tangible feedback from manipulating that machine and having it work or not work, like that might be the best type of experience. And so it's not that there's just one learning style for every lesson for a particular learner, but that every type of curriculum might be best suited if adapted based on the needs of that curriculum and that the student isn't necessarily the one who should be like, we're just going to say, oh, you're visual. So we're only going to teach this visually. Well, that's not the best way to approach that sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so this, I want to chime in real quick. So the episode 10, we talked about instructional design and there was some things that were derived out of there that I definitely want to link in the show notes for any of the really nerdy people that want to go out there and kind of dig into it. So there's this idea like team and Markle and we kind of go into them a little bit. So I'm going to link those. 
it's not worth the discussion here. But there's one thing from someone that's in that instructional design field named Joe Lang that it, he says this so succinctly, and I love it. Um, and he talks about, so in that we talked about like your objectives for your uh, instructional kind of goals, right? Like where you're trying to, what you're trying to teach and how you're trying to teach those sort of things are, are crucial. And he says the objectives describing what is to be learned is what drives the design of instruction rather than the consideration of learning style. Love it. However, one should consider the entry repertoire um, that the student has or the current relevant repertoire that they have going on of the student. One may have different styles of instruction based upon the current repertoire of the student. So in that sense, individual differences are quite important. And what I really like about this is just like how we're knocking on these learning styles and the research and the support behind them, he gives you a very useful, quick way to say like, hey, they aren't really a thing, but they are a thing when it comes to how to actually pragmatically or like, you know, move forward and actually teach somebody. And that is whatever skills they have right now, you probably got to build off of those in relation to the goals. That doesn't mean I'm going to only stick to one learning style. It means I'm going to use the learning styles, quote unquote, that are relevant in the moment to help get them to where they need to be. So you just described that very well, talking about the different types of feedback that someone may need, like when they're learning how to operate machinery, right? Yeah. Cool. So yeah, that, that's great. And I really like the way that, that they say that. And I think it does really highlight that point of that we're talking about, um, it is still at the individual level. And at that point, as you were saying, that doesn't really, their description of it, which I think is wonderful, is not in line with what learning styles are meant to communicate. This idea that there is like one particular strength area for this individual that is inherent to their genes, I guess. Yeah. And that uh, therefore what we do for teaching has to be uh, adapted to that learning style. And so finally, and in my opinion, this is one of the absolutely most critical, is that by only emphasizing students' strengths and purposefully ignoring their weaknesses or their skill deficits really puts them at a pretty serious disadvantage because the world doesn't necessarily conform to every learning style, and that would be crazy to try and make the world adapt. Like That would just be the most intense task to try and adapt the entire world so that it would fit with um, all these different potential learning styles that we can't even agree on what they are. I mean, really, a good teacher should be able to produce and help a student be well adapted to multiple types of circumstances and most uh, multiple types of like sensory modalities so that they can be strong and um, and react to them appropriately to any of them. And so it's really like does it does not help them to ignore the things where they need the most work and only emphasize the things where they're successful. And I think it's important to go back to the point that you made about that sometimes you you know have that starting place of this is what you're good at, so we're going to use that like a jumping off point, knowing that we're going to bring this back to what are the things we need to work on that you're not very good at right now. Maybe you are really good at visual stuff, but you need to be better at auditory stuff. So that's where our emphasis needs to be. So I love that. All right, so there's two things that makes me think of Abraham. The first is is just kind of like reiterate something that you said in a different way is that when we limit these sort of experiences for students, right, like in the ways that we're teaching them, we're also theoretically 
um, limiting their future is how I kind of look at those sort of things. Like we're risking their future at least or increasing the risk of like what they may like, may be able to do, all those sort of things, right? Makes perfect sense. Now, the second thing is is a little empathy towards teachers in this situation. It is extremely hard to get the skill set to learn how to work across all those modalities, identify when to use those different modalities and how to line those sort of things up in scope and sequences across all the different material that's out there. Um, and I know you know this and... Uh, I just wanted to kind of like throw that little caveat out there of like, man, we've both spent time teaching, right? It's a great point. Yeah. Is that I think at, at no point are we trying to throw the teachers under the bus for not doing this already or not being sensitive to this. It's difficult. And I think that oftentimes they are not given the tools going into a classroom of how to uh, like look for these things and then implement them on their own. So they kind of have to learn on the fly. And some of them get really great at that, but you can't blame a teacher for not necessarily being able to do that their first day on the job. Yeah, not to mention like all the other pressures that often come with school districts and whatnot in those situations. Um, and that is where I do have some experience of uh, teachers actually saying like, why have I not experienced this when they go through some of the trainings and such that I've provided with others? Um, when it comes to things kind of under this learning styles and how to teach effectively. Um, so yeah, I just want to highlight, like you said, it's, there's a lot of things going on and it's, it's more an issue with the system. I think a lot of people know that it's clearly not an easy solution. Um, but there's some empathy from, from the speakers here. All right. Yeah. I just want to say we love teachers. <laughs> we, lots of kudos and respect to teachers. Cool. All right. And so, um, I'm going to do a quick quote which is related to the last point that I was making. And I think that you uh, piggybacked on, and this is from a guy named Frank uh, Caulfield. And what he said is we do students a serious disservice by implying that they have only one learning style rather than a flexible repertoire from which to choose depending on the context. And I just think that's a really nice quote that sort of summarizes this, this point that we're trying to make. And so, yeah, I have this really fun story to close with, which is, um, you can Google this or, you know, find it, um, online. And this is from the, the onion, the, the news site that's meant to be just a joke. You know, it's, um, a, like a parody of a news site and, um, they ran this article. So this, uh, this onion article is so funny. Um, it said, uh, the title is parents of nasal learners demand odor based curriculum. And so they're really just making fun of the fact that, okay, well, you're going to say auditory and visual and kinesthetic, like, let's go after, nasal or odor curriculum as well. Um, you know, teach them using smells. I just think it's a really funny, um, a parody of an article where they're just, I think having a good natured laugh at this idea of learning styles. So I think that we can close this out essentially by just saying that, uh, learning styles, not a thing. Sorry. Uh, I know that a lot of people feel strongly about this. Uh, the research just isn't there. Uh, I will, I will go on the record as saying that, if there's good research that has good scientific evidence really to back it up to support that uh, learning styles are a thing and that um, they have the advantage, then uh, then I'm, I'm, I can be persuaded. It just, you know, it's going to take as much evidence to convince me that way as it did to convince me to the uh, position that I have now. So um, there needs to be good, good science there. Yeah. And I'll piggyback on there's a ton of tools, products. I mean, there's an entire industry or multiple industries centered around and kind of building off of things like this on these learning styles. Yeah. And they really just need to be evaluated for their validity, and they're often not. That's why you see so many models and these different persons' models. And I've actually been coached in uh, by other educators of like, oh, you need to make your own model. And it's like, hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I can't. Yeah. Like, I just, I can't. But I'll take the good parts of all of them and like use those, you know? Right. Yeah. There, there is actually research about, 
you know, doing good instruction. So yeah. And that we, we highlight that in episode 10 on some of the instructional design a little bit and we sprinkle it throughout one that I'm kind of biased to is anything that's in instructional design technologies. Yeah. Um, by Tima and Markle and Joe Ling and all them out there. And I love direct instruction. <laughs> so yes, that's a, for more on that, you can go back and listen to that older episode. So yeah, I think the biggest thing that I wanted to kind of just drive home is like these objectives that you're trying to reach. You can, you're working to reach those and learning styles, as it's said, is not the way to go about it. But looking at the skill sets that they have and the different ways and the different um, things that you do need to teach, that is how you go about doing those. Sweet. I like cool. It. All right. I think we have done it. Learning styles. All right. This is uh, Ryan O. Abraham. We are out. listening to why we do what we do why we do what we do is supported in part by abai's disseminating behavior analysis special interest group and our amazing listeners if you like what you heard consider heading to our patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast anything helps and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters if you have any comments or questions we'd love to hear from you Find us at WWD Podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.